staying calm in the eye of the storm. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Steve, this bears repeating. You do not build a boat in the middle of a storm, right? You, bu- yeah. you build the boat during calm times. That is your financial plan. The reason why you don't want to figure out what you should be doing with your money during times when, let's see, inflation is 40-plus year high, uh, the market is all over the place, you feel like you need Dramamine to check the financial news headlines. Not a pretty picture out there. It's not, and I am seeing more anxiety out of investors than I have seen since 2008. I, I mean, yeah. pe- people are, are I, I'm going to call them freaking. I, I yeah. mean, a lot of people are really concerned. I think and, we've reached the point of freaking, yes. Yeah, I, and I, I get it completely. I, I saw an article over the weekend about expect another big drop before we hit bottom. What are they supposed to do when they see nothing and hear nothing but negative, negative, negative. So let's put some perspective on it. Yes. If I were to ask you how many times has the market recovered from a bear market, right? And this, we're, we are uh, kind of t- clo- dangerously We're right close. on the edge. Right yeah, on we're the dangerously edge. close I'm to that territory right now. Yeah. yeah, that's 20% down from recent highs, right? When the market gets there, that is a bear market. Here's the perspective we want you to hear tonight. If you hear nothing else, it is that 100% of the times, Every single time, every time, our economy has hit a bear market, we have rebounded. We have, and 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 I thought of an analogy that maybe doesn't hit it with everybody, but it makes sense to me. What if you went in a casino? Just hang with me a second, okay? okay. What if you walked in a casino and the rules were, yeah, you may be down as much as thirty percent. If you walk in with a thousand dollars, you may see that thousand go down to seven hundred. But if you stick around for at least ten hours, you are guaranteed every single time in the past to have more money than when you walked in. Yes. Would would you stick around or would you say, not nah, cash me out when I'm at seven hundred? I think the problem right? here for a lot of people is that the 10 hours is actually like, you know, yeah. 10 months. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's no free drinks. I get it. <laughs> it just feels like it's never yeah. going to end. It's funny because for for I had a split second reaction this morning of I'm going to check my 401k. And then Ooh. I thought, why? Why would you yeah. do that to yourself to see black and white? I'm, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to do anything with it. So I'm just going to expose myself to negativity for no reason. I know it's down and that's okay because I also know and have every expectation that eventually it will go back up. Is it tomorrow? Is it next week? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you can get whiplash reading the headlines as far as this is the worst. This is dead cat cat bounce. It's going to go much, you know, it's going to get much worse. No one can make sense. No one has a crystal ball to predict it. But we have history to look back on, and it gives us a heck of a lot of perspective. We we, we do, and I, I think part of the issue is a lot of investors, and for that matter, a lot of investment advisors weren't around in 2008. So they, you know, you can't really count 2020. Yeah, it was over Not so normal. quick. Yeah, it wasn't normal. It was a pandemic. It was, you know, just some goofy thing where the government had to shut down the economy. And it wasn't a normal market cycle. So if you weren't around in 2008 or you kind of conveniently forgot 2008, this is going to feel weird. But, you know, it's not. Thirty-eight. There were 38 bear markets and corrections just since World War II. The market bounced back, uh, like you mentioned, every single time. The average length of decline of the Standard & Poor's 500 has been about 16 months. 
There have been shorter ones, one in 2020. It only lasted a month, and it might feel like forever. And if you look at just the bear markets, they, they, were, they were on average 10 months. You know, so, okay, we're already five months into this. So is it possible if it's the worst case scenario that you've got another five months of this craziness before the next bull market? It doesn't sound so bad, but you feel, I mean, we're human. You feel like you have to do something. And I know as, you know, an investment advisor doing this for literally 40 years, it's the casual investor that feels like you have to do something the, the, the real pros out there, the Warren Buffetts, Warren Buffett just put $41 billion into the market. He knows that these cycles work out in our favor every time. And he says, you know what? When things take that much of a dip, I'm going to invest my money then, not when everybody feels good and thinks everything is great like everybody felt in November and December of last year. The guy's got a track record. you got to respect that. Yeah, there are so many of you out there, and I completely understand this, who are going through legitimately the stages of grief when yeah. it comes to your investments, right? I mean, at first, it's you're in denial. Maybe you're looking at your 401k and you're thinking, this can't be. And then you say, okay, well, this this must be just the opportunity to buy. I can see what Buffett's talking about. And then you start thinking about how many years it took for you to make that amount of money, right? That you're losing in your 401k, that your investments are hemorrhaging right now. And then you go through this whole kind of where you end up at just this place of acceptance, like resignation, like it's it's never going to end. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. Man, it feels like a storm out there for investors right now. And we just kind of want to give you some perspective looking back on the history of things so that maybe you can kind of stay calm in the eye of the storm. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm finding as I get older, I oversimplify. You, you know, it's I, I just like to keep my life simple, Amy. And, and if you look at the major stock indexes, the last three calendar years, 20% in 2019, 15% in 2020, 20% in 2021. Yeah, it was kind of a given. You know, we're, we're at market highs. Didn't know exactly when it was, but we're at market highs. When I look back over my career, you see two or three or four good years, maybe a fifth, but usually three or four good years, you're going to have a down year. Three or four good years, you're going to have a down year. And when you average it all out, you make money in the stock market. So what what's the lesson out of this? You know, Nathan Backrack, you know, a guy who started this company years ago, he used to, I think it was a little too cute, but he would say, take two aspirin, call me in a year. But yeah. that's really good advice because in markets like this, they all always have worked out in the past and if you just if you did not open up your 401k and said i'm just gonna stick to my guns and i'm gonna look at it a year from now you wouldn't have known things were bad in all likelihood because it always has worked out there's no reason why this time it will not work out it's just you don't know when and you get awful anxious while you're waiting well, and I think that's why your perspective of having done this for, for decades now, right, comes into play because you don't get anxious on years that are down. But all. to your point, usually, and this is what we've seen recently, the subsequent years are all up. And, and I think individual investors who just aren't diving into these things day in and day out as we are, it feels like, oh, every time I checked my 401k, it was yeah. up. Like I could do no wrong. And then all of a sudden, it feels like the bottom has just been ripped out from so many you know, sure. under so many people. And it's like, what's going on? And that's, I think, how so many people kind of end 
end up in this place of, but this time is worse. Yeah, yeah. This time is different um, because you forgot what this feels like. Yeah, and, and we had the double whammy also. It wasn't just stocks. The protection that you put in there the for times just like this. Bonds, they got crushed too. They had their worst quarter. The first quarter of this year was the worst quarter for bonds since 1980. So, yeah, you've got the double whammy. But I can say the same thing about bonds. They have always recovered, and generally it's the very next year. I don't care what interest rates are. When bonds have a down year, historically, they have been up the next year, certainly over the next 18 months. So, you know, there again, a little bit of patience goes a long way. I just don't get why normally rational people get completely irrational and do the exact wrong thing. And they, they too many people conclude, well, I lost money last month and the month before. And at this rate, I'm, if I keep losing money every single month, I'm going to be out in another two years, totally out of money. I can't afford to do that. i got to protect myself. No, slow down, relax, yeah. deep breaths. It always works out. Yeah, may go down a little bit more before it goes up. But overall, things are cheaper today than they were in December. And there's no reason that that graph, I don't care what time period you look at, as long as it's more than 5, 10 years or so. But most graphs I look at go back at least to World War II. They always recover, always have, always will. We have been here before. And I think, though, to your point, Steve, when you've got the bond market getting hammered, and I mean, we've never been proponents here on the show of cryptocurrency getting hammered, right? There's there's nowhere else to go. But the people who stop me, and I've had people stop me and say, where do I go? Do I go to gold? Do I go to the, you know, where do I go? You go nowhere. <laughs> no your place plan to hide. is your plan, you yeah. know, and yeah. and your plan doesn't say, okay, if the market's down ten percent, we're going to completely jump out of this, right? Like yeah. that's not that's not smart long term investing. And I hate when people take the kind of set it and forget it approach right, with their four hundred one k and when their investments. But at the same time, it might serve you well during times like this to if you're not sleeping at night, get away from the financial headlines that are saying the sky is falling because. Yeah. Even trying to assign any reason to the markets right now, it, you know, one tech company is is has bad earnings, and all of a sudden people are selling all tech stocks. Like, right. It right. doesn't make sense. Um, but trying to make sense of it can make you a crazy person. It, it can if you can make yourself the calm eye in the middle of the storm. Yes. You come out of this not not just better financially, but you're happier. Turn off TV, you know, turn off, well, I don't want to say radio. Keep radio on from 6 to 7 p.m. I think that's important. <laughs> I yeah. really do. Most but, important time of the day. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, the natural reaction that I've got to do something can hurt you so bad. And, and the bottom of the market is not when everybody says, oh, okay, we got that out of the way. It looks like inflation's under control and, and things should start heading up now. No. The bottom of the market is when everybody says, oh, this is worse and it's going to get more. It's going to get worse. It's going to get even worse. That's usually when you're at the bottom of the market. And that's why, you know, you don't try to time the market. But the biggest increases in the major stock indexes tend to occur around the bottom. The, the, The number is actually about a third of the largest stock increases in one day of trading 
tend to occur around the bottom, and nobody knows when the bottom yeah, is until you're way past ball. it. Yeah. Exactly, you know? So here's why that can hurt you by, by pulling out and going back in. If you invested $100,000 in, in just the standard Emporis 500 index, nothing fancy whatsoever, and left it alone over 25 years, that would have grown to about a million dollars by the end of last year. If you just missed the 10 best days, and I just got done saying generally a third of the biggest days are coming off the bottom when you yep. don't know it's the bottom. If you just missed 10 days out of 25 years, then you had a half a million dollars less money. Your 100000 didn't grow to a million. It only grew to 500 Still decent money, but you just left a half a million bucks on the table because you felt like you had to do something. So, again, I, I know. I, I, I tend to oversimplify but just set it and forget it. You'll be fine. Don't know when the bottom is, but I know things will rebound. They always have. Here's the Simply Money point. When a storm surrounds you, your best protection, well-diversified financial plan. All right, so if you're trying to figure out where can I put my money, right, to outpace inflation right now, if you're thinking about I-bonds, you're not the first in line. Ask the Treasury Department's website. We'll explain next. Plus, that lump sum pension payout, does that make sense when market conditions are what they are? The very important answer to that question in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovag. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money. You'll find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead at 643, how you might be able to benefit from inflation or at least let it make a little less of a dent in your budget. Speaking of inflation, I think a lot of people are into I-bonds these days because of this. And, man, the Treasury Department <laughs> is feeling it. I-bonds, inflation bonds, right? And the Treasury Department sets how much you can get by investing in these, sort of a guaranteed return during a set amount of time. And they just said, hey, announcing these in inflation-protected bonds, 9.62%, you can buy them now at least until the end of October. Wait, wait, wait a second. So you're saying there's a government-backed super-safe bond that pays 9.62% interest? Yes. Yes. With yeah. caveats, right? And there's well, some, some there's major... some caveats, yeah. <laughs> but it is a good deal. I, I it, mean, it, it's, it's an incredible deal. Right deal. Right yeah. Yes. So so let, let's explain what an I-bond is. An I-bond is... It, it's basically a, a different type of savings bond that, you know, grandma and grandpa were giving grandkids decades ago. This one pays 0% fixed interest, but it pays the current inflation rate that adjusts every six months. So right now with inflation high, they just readjusted to 9.62% and it's getting people's, it's getting attention. So much so, Amy, that not only did the website crash at the Treasury Department where you buy these things, but the phone lines crashed. I, I mean, the government, I guess, didn't think 9.6% was going to attract interest, <laughs> and they were possibly wrong, possibly not ready for it. Shocking. Yeah. The Treasury Department, right? They even had to shift staff to try to manage this much higher call volume. One caveat, though, that is worth mentioning here, yeah. too, is you can only put $10,000 into I-bonds. There's another way if you buy paper I-bonds. Yeah. yeah, each year that you can buy an additional 5000 more. So you're capped. So, yes, they can make a lot of sense. Um especially for a longer-term investment. But just keep in mind, you can't take everything out of your 401k and buy I-bonds where you're going to get close to 10%. That's yeah. not what this is. Yeah, just before you rush out and, and try to put as much as you can into them, be be aware they are 30-year bonds, 30-year maturities. 
you cannot, I, I, I believe you can't even sell them in the first year. And between years one and five, you give up, I believe it's three months of interest. But that that's about it on the negatives. I mean, they do pay 9.62% interest. And it, it they, the interest rate uh, readjusts every six months with the inflation rate. So if, I hope, inflation goes down, you will not be getting 9.6 for 30 years. You'll get it for the next six months. And if if uh, inflation drops a little bit, then your interest will drop a little bit. But, you know, it would have to drop a lot to, to match CDs. It's, it's, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. So, Steve, uh, for people who have a pension, there's this kind of age-old question th- yeah. that you face at some point as you get closer to retirement, and that is, do you get the monthly payout or do you get the the lump sum payout? And I think there's a lot of people who are wondering right now if current market conditions, right, with these rising interest rates kind of play into the equation. Do they make a difference now? Yeah, they, they kind of do. And and I, I what we're talking about is in the old days, you never had this option, Amy. In the old days, okay, your pension, most people just called it their retirement from their company. You know, it was a fixed payout and, and you know, maybe you'd leave. You got 50, the same check every yeah, month? Yeah, you got the same yeah. check and it was guaranteed for life. And maybe 50% would go to your spouse, maybe 100%. You had that option. But I started seeing it about 15, maybe 20 years ago. Lump sum payouts. And, and, you know, when people are presented with a choice of, you know, a couple hundred thousand bucks a month or, hey, here's this big pot of cash. You want it? A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people would grab it and then just blow the money. And, and that's that's the rub. So you've got to, you know, you've got to take a hard look at if you've got a choice lump sum versus a guaranteed monthly pension payout. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, do I have self-control? Will I not buy that bass boat? Will I not do that, you know, buy that car or whatever the case is? And do that before you start examining, okay, now that I've made that decision, what effect have interest rates played into it? Because they do. Yes, they do. In fact, there's an inverse relationship between interest rates and lump sum payouts, right? So as interest rates go up, the lump sum payout that you're going to get is going to go down, which is exactly what your company wants, right? Yeah. To lock that in, at lower liability to them. They're all about that. And I imagine that a lot of companies will suddenly be trying to push, right, that lump sum payout right now. And this is truly, Ed Fink, one of our founders, is always referred to this as the mirror test. Look yourself in the mirror. Cold, hard questions, right? You have to be truthful with yourself. Am I really going to take this money? Because there's a lot of people who say, well, I'll invest it myself. I'll have more control over how I invested, what's invested in. I think I can get X rate of return. And what we see time and time again bearing out in the numbers is that most people who get that lump sum payout, first of all, buy a car, a house, go on a sweet vacation within the first year, blow a ton of that money. And within four to five years, the majority of people who take that lump sum payout it's gone. Yeah, it's almost like looking at what happens a lottery winners. Yeah, you know they. Yes, just, it is yeah. very similar. But but what you said, you made some good points, Amy, because these are advantages. If you take the lump sum, you're first of all you're going to have beneficiaries on the account that you roll it over to, which means after you and your spouse are gone, if there's any money left over, it goes to the beneficiaries. That doesn't happen in a monthly distribution of a pension. So that's kind of neat. You control the investments. Okay, it might be good or bad. But you also control the distributions. Maybe you don't need the money right now. So you're not taxed on it if you don't take a distribution and you need the money down the road when it's grown more and you can take a larger distribution. You have that control. 
but you may not outlive the money. And that is the single biggest guarantee of drawing a monthly pension payout is you are guaranteed that payout for life. And for some people, that's a lot more important. Here's the stat. One out of three people who took the lump sum used it all within five years. Here's a simply money point. Unless you plan on investing a lump sum pension payout, you know you're going to invest it. Your best bet may be taking monthly payments for income. Know yourself. Next, how to fight back against phone carriers tracking your every move. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I mean, you Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, sometimes I feel like picking up my phone is like exposing my entire soul to everyone in the world. There is so much data that is being tracked by uh, or by all the companies that we interact with, one of them, of course, being your phone carrier. Joining us tonight is Dave Hatter, our tech expert from Intrust IT. Dave, you're saying that our phone carrier is tracking a ton of personal data, and actually, we can stop this. To on both accounts, yes and yes okay. to some degree. Okay. Kind of depends on your particular carrier, but I don't know that people necessarily realize this. And you know, your same thing is true for your internet service provider. So if you're using, let's say, Spectrum or Bell at home to get on the internet, all everything you're doing is going through their systems. They can capture all that information. Now, more and more people are spending more time online with a phone going through a cellular carrier's networks. I think this is increasingly relevant for folks, but think about it like this. You know, I think most people by now have understood there's a whole data economy out there, right? Sometimes it's called surveillance capitalism where companies like Facebook and Google, I think you know well how I feel about both of them. I do. Essentially make all their money off you. You are not their customer, you are their product, right? They are monetizing your data to make all these services free or at very low cost. So, you know, you're, when you're using their platforms and such, there's a certain trade-off there. And, you know, if you agree to that trade-off, you see value in their services, so be it. I don't know that people, though, necessarily get how much data their cellular carrier or their Internet service provider can collect. That is the key. I think you are exactly yeah. right there, Dave. I think that there's so many people – they track – when I'm on it and when I'm not on it, right? Or just very basic information. You would be astounded at what companies can glean about you from your usage, from where you're going on your devices, all all kinds of places. I don't think anyone even understands, most people don't understand the tip of the iceberg there. I, I think you're absolutely right. And for folks interested in kind of going down that rabbit hole, you should check out the John Stewart uh, segment on that, look into data brokers, um, look into the movie, The Social Dilemma. It's a documentary. It's very oh, interesting. Yes. But when, when you use the, the cellular carrier, for example, one of the things that I find a little frustrating about this is, again, you're trading your data to Google in exchange for their services. Well, you're already paying that cellular carrier for access to their cellular network for your phone, right? So this is like gravy for them to be able to collect it's like all your data. like double dipping, right? They're it getting really, paid it really twice. Is. Yeah. It really is because you're paying up front for that service, right? Um, they all track varying amounts of data. AT&T seems to collect the most, including biometric data and other stuff, which I find uh, unnecessary. And, you know, again, I'm always going to lean towards less data out there. And again, one of the reasons why I think this is an important topic is you can say, well, I'm not going to use Google. I'm not going to use Amazon. I'm not going to use some of these places that collect a lot of data, but your cellular carrier is potentially getting it all anyway, right? So, Understanding that going into it and then understanding how you can potentially limit that I think is important. Here's where it gets tricky, Amy. 
you know, each carrier obviously has their own privacy policy. Each mm -hmm. carrier has information that they capture. There's a lot of overlap between the three main ones. But then, you know, how you can, what you can turn off and how you do it is where this starts to get a little frustrating, of course, because each one is a little different. The terminology they use is different. What you can control is different. You know, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all type of solution. I would encourage anyone that's using AT&T, you should look into this. You might be surprised at the amount of data that they're collecting. Um, it appears of the three major carriers, Verizon is probably collecting the least at this point. They claim they don't sell any of this to third parties. Now, that doesn't mean they won't start doing it tomorrow. And that's also one of the things that's tricky about this is company A's privacy policy says X, that can change at any time, or B, they get bought by another company who has an entirely different policy. But the good news is whether you have like your carrier's app, all three of these have an app you can install on your phone to do various things, or you use their website, you can go in, uh, log into your account, and then basically dig down into what I'm going to generically call the privacy settings because their terminologies vary a little bit. Okay. Um, and then you can see what they're collecting and attempt to turn some of that stuff off. You know, David, uh, as, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking through the fact that some rules, some regulations have changed recently about the apps that you use, right? And when you open certain apps, especially for the first time, they'll the, a box will pop up and it will say, you know, can we share this data? Do you want us to share this data? Which I love. Um, but I was thinking, well, how would I do that if I were a Verizon customer? So we need to go specifically to their apps and then find the information on there. Yeah, you're right, and I think you make an interesting distinction here. So Apple rolled out their app tracking transparency framework, and now if you want to put an app in the Apple Store, you have to tell people explicitly what you're collecting and allow them to opt out of it. So I, you have to make it possible for them to say, I'm going to use your app without allowing you to collect this information, which in my mind, a huge victory for privacy coming from the Apple side. Yes. Now, Google has recently rolled out something similar for Android, I haven't followed it that closely because I never trust anything from Google. I'll just be honest with you, and I don't—I try to avoid using anything from Google. But they're at least making some noises in that space too. Neither one of those would help you here, though, with your cellular carrier, because whether you use an app on an Apple phone or you just open a browser—well, technically your browser would be an app on an Apple phone or on an Android phone—ever all of your traffic, right? If you're connected to Verizon's cellular network to get on the internet or T-Mobile's or whomever all of your data, everything that's leaving that phone and going out to the internet and coming back is going through their network. They have it all, right? Unless you're using something like a VPN to encrypt that data, they've got it all. So even with something like the Apple transparency tracking framework, it's helpful to a point, but it's not going to stop your cellular carrier. And that's where you'd have to get into looking at you know, these settings and trying to limit the amount of data they're collecting. If that's something you're concerned about, and I'm just, again, want to go on the record and say, in general, the less information about you that's out there, the better, because it's less likely that a hacker can get it through a breach or a leak or something, and then figure out how to use it against you at some future point. All right, you just closed that loop for me, because I, I wanted to get to that point about, okay, why should we be so protective, uh, protective of our information? Um, you know, obviously, they're going to sell it to marketers to help try to market things to me. But from an even, uh, you know, more granular perspective here, they can use this information, right? It gets into the wrong hands of people, and then they can have access to bank accounts, credit card information. They can do a lot of damage. Yeah, and again, I'm for more privacy in general, but then I'm a nut. You know that. 
from a practical standpoint for most people, You're not the reason why it matters is because as these giant databases are built by data brokers, and more and more information is collected about you. When that gets sold to someone where it's leaked or it gets hacked or whatever, however it gets out into the hands of the bad people, the more information they have about you, the easier it is to impersonate you. So let's say, for example, I have a ton of information about you. Mm-hmm. I break into your email account because you don't have MFA, you don't have a good password, and I email all of your contacts. And because I have this information about you, I can send very authentic mails that seem like it's really from you or texts or whatever. Or more importantly, probably, though, is the flip side of that where I want to break into your bank account. I use the forgot my password. It you know sometimes walks you through those security questions. What high school did you go to? What's your mother's mm-hmm. maiden name? What was your first dog? If I can get that information somewhere about you, especially if I can get it off some dump on the dark web somewhere, I'm into your account. Or 30 seconds on your Facebook page, right? I mean, it's not hard to find this information. (laughs) Sadly, sadly, Amy, it's not. And, you know, so again, that's why I'm not saying don't use social media. I'm not saying don't put anything out there about you. But understanding how the bad guys will use this information against you, you know, helps you understand why it's better if you can limit it. And, and reduce the number of hands that it's in, right? If only Verizon has it, well, that's better than if Verizon and Google and Facebook and Axiom and every data broker on earth have all of that information. What are they doing to protect it? Who are they selling it to? What are those third parties that are buying doing to protect it? Who knows? So, you know, understanding this and knowing that you can go in and make an impact on the amount of information they're collecting, I think is a good thing. Yeah, so if this if you are not right comfortable with your carrier knowing all of this information about you, seek out find their website, go to their privacy settings, dig deep yep. into there where you can figure out how to opt out of sharing that information to protect that information from getting out there and of course possibly getting into the wrong hands and doing some major damage. Great advice as always from our tech expert Dave Hatter from Intrust IT. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Spovak. Straight ahead at 643 Revenge Travel in 2022. Are you heading out on a trip? Many Americans are. Where you're going next. Everything costs more. I mean, it's just like a fact now, Steve. It used to be pockets of inflation. Now it's just everything. The pump, the grocery store, anything. I was in a store over the weekend and I'm like, really? Does this little thing cost that? But everything costs more. And being aware of certain ways that inflation can impact you and certain things that you can do maybe to combat it will at least maybe help stretch that budget a little bit farther. Yeah, I mean, some things are in your face. Like I had my first $100 plus fill up last week. Oh, and then ouch. and then I went out to to visit my son in in Phoenix and and there uh, a gallon of regular gas at most places is over 5 bucks out there and that's ouch. not even California. Yeah. You, you know, so most things are in your face, but there's some things that we're calling shrinkflation where you don't pay more. And and this is the fir- the early stages of inflation in in my book is that Companies don't want to raise prices because it might drive the consumer to the competition. So they just very stealthily, very subtly 
reduce the amount you get. I, I've seen it, and this is really what, what crushes me, in Thin Mint Cookies from Girl Scouts. <laughs> I, I mean, it used to be a big sleeve, and now it's, it's not it's practic- It's not right. It's There's not, like this five is, cookies in a sleeve. Exactly, exactly. It's, this it's is serious. Everywhere. Now I'm well, paying attention. It's not just the Girl Scouts. I hate to break this to you, but, I mean, the bags of chips that you buy, and, and I always say, like, listen, if you're, like, be a smart consumer. If there's certain things that you buy every week that your family likes, start paying attention to uh, the the price per unit, right? That you're getting for that. Yeah. My family is big peanut butter. My kids, oh my gosh, they could go through a jar of peanut butter in a week over summer break. And um, I noticed a couple of years ago. Talk about shrinkflation. Jif peanut butter. If you pull, if you turn the jar over, you can literally put your fist in the bottom of that <laughs> jar because there's empty there's space. nothing there. Yeah, yeah. There's just empty space. Jar looks the same. Yeah. You pay the same, but there's a heck of a lot less peanut butter in that jar. It's starting to happen across just about anything that you can buy if you're trying to avoid this right knowledge is power generic the store brands and walmart just kind of announced last week hey we're starting to see you guys changing your shopping habits right you're starting starting to buy the store brands those are the last ones that try to play this game with shrinkflation where you're going to get less in the packaging and pay the same well, you know, when, when uh, wages were up and life was good and pre-pandemic and all that good kind of stuff, or, or even during the pandemic, you're not flying, so you're saving money. You're not paying attention to this stuff. People are paying attention again. I have a warning, Amy. Don't turn your wine bottle upside down. You might be <laughs> you might be very disappointed because they've been doing this for years with that I little know. trick. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Here, here's another thing you can do, if possible, and you're someone who's getting close to retirement age, delay Social Security, right? For every year that you're not taking that Social Security benefit, it's a guaranteed 8% past yeah. full retirement age up to the age of 70. If you can do that, um, that's a way to help try to combat inflation the best you can. Well, At least it's something you can control, right? When you say you, you were talking to me directly, weren't you? About, about Social Security. Hey, you, <laughs> but, you knocking know, on Social hey, Security's door. It is. Yeah, you know, they'll, they'll get you in other ways. They'll raise Medicare, Medicare premiums, yep. which everybody who's drawing a Social Security benefit, they're nodding their heads right now. Yeah, in one door, out the other. But it, it's the truth. I mean, you do get a legitimate cost of living increase on, on Social Security. It doesn't seem like it's a lot, but it does add up. And, and you know, I, I'm seeing other things occur as inflation is, you know, we're getting inflation after we're coming out of a pandemic. And one area that people just don't care about inflation is travel. I, I mean, yeah. people, I, I just mentioned I was out visiting my uh, son and his family out in, in Phoenix. Um, that airport was packed. People are, are flying more, even though airfares are up. And they're traveling more to destinations that maybe are a little bit more lax about COVID, like Jamaica and, and the Bahamas. Uh, we're seeing a lot more travel like that. Yeah. Ask yourself during this time, as everything is more expensive, what's the most important thing to me, right, to my family? Uh, And I actually, it's funny, I actually came to this realization over the weekend. Travel is so important to our family. Like, we love those experiences. But we're spending way too much on food right now. And I've gotten to the point where this week I'm going to sit down and meal plan better, right? What can we buy that, you know, the kids are starting to get out of school and everything's so much more expensive because they're here for all the meals. I'm going to do a better job about planning it because you have to 
when prices are up this high. So yeah, we'll still spend on travel, but we will take intentional steps to try to cut back on food. And I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves now. Here's the Simply Money point. We can't control inflation, but we can control how we live with it. Coming up, airfare and gas prices are way up, but it's not stopping you from doing something we're calling revenge travel. What that is, what it looks like, where you're going next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovak. You know, Steve, as we talk about inflation, right, everything costing more it doesn't matter, I think, to a lot of us when it comes to travel this year. Delta had its biggest month in company history in March, right? More people booking flights during that time yeah. than ever before. Yes, gas prices are up, I think, 40 cents a gallon over just the past month. Yet we're still going to go out and travel. It, revenge travel. We just, <laughs> it's just this pent-up demand uh, for travel during the pandemic. Okay, and so maybe now the worst of it's over. And yes, like we're getting smacked in the face with inflation, but there, I think there's a lot of you out there, and I get it because I'm one of you. I don't care. Like, I still have to travel. Um, the price of fuel is up, whether you're driving a car or you're hopping on an airplane that obviously burns fuel. 1.5 billion more passengers are flying this year compared to 2021. Yep. I, I mean, that is a monster number, Amy. And it's it's not just I mean, revenge is kind of cute, but it's it's people saying, no, I'm not going to be denied life. You know, yeah. they're, they're saying I want experiences for me, my spouse, my children, and I'm getting out there. And if it costs a little bit more, I don't know, because I'm tired of being cooped up. I'm getting out and I'm going to enjoy it. No question, you are going to pay more. Month-to-month -month increase for airfare, March to April, 18.6%, almost 20% that you're going to pay more just for airfare right now. And I think it is. I think it's you want to pay for experiences. During the pandemic when you were stuck home, maybe you got that, like, online shopping addiction of, like, well, at least I can buy something and something new will come to the house. And we're, we're done with the stuff, I think, a lot of us. And it's, I want to get out there and I want to travel again. And we're going to places, a lot of us, that we've never been before, right? Just yeah. give me something new to experience now. Yeah, and and I'll tell you what really grabbed my attention on, on some of these numbers. Okay, a lot more people are flying today than they were in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. But spending on experiences, restaurants, concerts, things like that, it's up 34% over yep. 2019. I mean, this, yes. is, this is unprecedented. And I'll tell you what, those industries really needed the help. Yeah, and when one third of you say, hey, I'm willing to actually pay more right now to make up for lost time. I just feel like I've missed out on all yeah. these opportunities. We had um, a ba bank rate um, research that was out recently that said that there are a lot of consumers out there that are saying that you're going to cut back on travel this year because of inflation. And it's funny because even the bank rate analyst that I talked to about this, he said, I don't buy it. <laughs> I think Liars. we know. I think we know we're supposed to say, "Well, I'm not going to travel yeah. as much this year because of inflation." But in reality, I think there's just so many people that are just so ready to get out there that you're going to do it anyway. Yeah, and I still talk to people that aren't getting out. They're still a little bit worried, and and you know, fine. That's that's where they're at. Um, that tells me the numbers could be even higher once yeah. everybody relaxes. That's okay. Life is for living. Yeah. So just plan for that, right? Don't go into credit card debt. Don't take money out of your 401k, nothing like that. But if you have to make cuts in other places, go ahead and do it because we get it. You want to get back out there? We do too. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station.